having great leadership is much, much more critical than having great management. And, and in, in times like today, where you have this great resignation, that great leadership requirement is going to continue to grow. The Business of Cleaning, the podcast that brings cleaning industry expertise straight to your ears. Mike Sawchuk is a senior operations, sales, and business development leader who is trusted by professional cleaning operations, manufacturers, and distributors to improve effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, customer experience, and bottom lines. During his over 30 years in the cleaning industry, Mike has worked with manufacturers, distributors, small to medium-sized building service contractors, and an international certification body. He's worked with in-house unionized custodial staff of K-12 schools, universities, colleges, and other large complex venues. Needless to say, he's done just about everything. Mike is a cleaning industry management standard certified expert, and that's a mouthful, but you might all know that as Sims. He holds a bachelor's degree in business administration from Brock University, an MBA from McMaster University, and has graduated from UL University Lean Sigma Green Belt Training, which is where people master Lean and Six Sigma methodology, which you might be familiar with, and which many great consulting experts are definitely familiar with. Sawchuck Consulting provides virtual education for cleaning operations who want to comprehensively assess themselves as compared to best in class and then develop a sustainable operations-specific plan to improve their results. He's been an author, a speaker, and helps many professionals, including manufacturers and distributors, achieve strategic growth. So again, he knows his stuff. We're going to be jumping into our interview with Mike, and I hope you give it a solid listen. At the end, I'm going to talk about the training opportunity he has that will be coming up in September. So give that part a good listen, and Mike will go into further detail. We'll also provide a link in our description and our blog posts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our show. I'm here with Mike. See, I butchered your first name there. I don't even know what I did to it. I'm here with Mike Sawchuk today, and we're going to be talking about a couple very important subjects within the industry. We're going to tie them together, and that is leadership and your employee retention. And so before we get started, I'm going to let Mike tell us a little bit more about himself. Thank you, Haley. Uh, Mike Sawchuk, I've been in the professional cleaning industry for about 30 years now. I've worked for small, medium, and large-sized manufacturing companies. I've worked for distribution. I've worked for BSCs. I've provided. I've worked for some in-house in the education sector and, and long-term care and venue. So did a lot of things over the years, including a stint at a, a, a green certification body. So I, I view myself as being very different in terms of I'm not coming from one silo. I've got that vast amount of experience. Uh, and experience and insights uh, in, in leading people, developing teams, as well as the science and engineering of how to clean and disinfect uh, properly. And over those years, I've seen the good, the bad, and ugly of some cleaning operations. And, and I've seen some people struggle to make change and failed, others that made change and became very, very successful as an individual, as well as their uh, cleaning operations. So I now look forward to bringing some of that experience and, and insights and helping those that are looking for assistance in improving the, the operational results uh, of their cleaning operation. Well, 
I, for one, am super glad that we can have you on the show. I had the fortune of meeting you in Toronto for ISSA Canada, and it was my first time at the show. And so I definitely had a lot of new faces to meet and everything else. But when um, you walked up and uh, we were introduced, you definitely stuck out of the bunch. <laughs> but uh, the cool thing is I've gotten to connect with you on LinkedIn, and I've gotten to see some of what you're doing. Uh, some of the topics that you're speaking to. And I've gotten to really see your experience, not so much through like it outright being stated, but just by how like rich your knowledge is and how much you really can talk to your subject matter. And it is unique when you can get somebody in that has so much experience across the entire industry and not just in one little arm of it. So thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Very flattered with that uh, introduction. Thank you. I try. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned before, we want to talk about leadership and retention. Before we get too deep, I think the important thing is to really define uh, what is leadership. There is a lot of different ideas perhaps out there as far as what makes a leader, what defines leadership. Um, but I guess to you, what is leadership? What are some of the misconceptions that you see about what makes a leader? Well, the first uh, misconception is that a lot of people believe management and leadership are the same, and, and they're not. Uh, having great leadership is much, much more critical uh, than having great management. And, and in, in times like today, where you have this great resignation, that great leadership requirement is going to continue to grow. Some people can be great managers as well as great leaders, and others could be you know, great leaders and great managers, but not necessarily um, everybody is good at both. Typically, the people are great managers and companies and organizations need them, and then others are great leaders, but they're not necessarily the same in their roles and, and their traits. Now, if you want elaboration on that, managers are more the, the, the functional side, so they administer. So they're, they, they, their process is more tra you know, transactional. They're, they're meeting objectives and goals. Uh, they are work-focused. You know, they get goals done. They want things done. Uh, they have subordinate. They circulate them, circle themselves with people that report to them, and they lead typically more by authority. And lastly, they, they're there to do things right. They, uh, uh, they're there just to do what, what the company or wants. Leaders, on the other hand, innovate. You know, their process is more um, transformational. They develop and ensure alignment between the company's mission, vision, core values, guiding principles. And a lot of companies are missing that. They need that alignment between all these and then they hold everybody within the organizational accountable. They're people focused, Haley. They, they, they focus on the people as individuals and not necessarily the results. They, 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 they care about their people. They want them to succeed, but they recognize that great people will produce a great results. Focus on results are not necessarily going to have great and happy people. They have followers. People do things for them because they're, they're just, uh, you know, this attraction because they, they, they're inspiring. And lastly, they do the right things. And, and that really is shaping the, the culture and, and drive integrity uh, in, in that whole work environment. So those are some of the key differences between management and leadership um, and why I think leaders are more important. 
Thank you. And that, I mean, that tied into one of my next questions, which was talking about the key importance, but, you know, that really defines it in the, the scope of an individual operation or business. But what about for the industry as a whole? Why are leaders so important today for the cleaning industry? Uh, I, I firmly believe that uh, you cannot have operational excellence. You can't uh, reach your aspirational goals as a, as a company. Let it be a, a building service contractor or let it be an in-house cleaning operation or distribution or manufacturing. You're not going to reach your corporate uh, aspirational goals without great leadership. Leaderships will develop and generate a high ROI uh, on um, uh, their uh, on their what they do and they're going to make the, the company and the organization more consistent in delivering the highest levels of outcomes and, and you know too many operations today in-house cleaning at BSCs we're talking about um, you know they have great managers they have great people that have been around for 30 years they've been you know promoted up into a management but they don't have enough great leaders so that's really going to be the critical thing moving forward leaders are the ones that create that that culture of engagement of empowerment of motivation of satisfaction uh, of trust and respect so regardless, either they built it or they're allowing it to happen. That's what great leadership does. And you need that. You need those things if you're able to, if you're ever thinking you're going to develop you know, operational excellence uh, and produce things effectively, efficiently, productively. So kind of going along with that, if somebody's on board, they want to make sure they have the good leaders in their company. Um one of the things to to look at is where should those leaders be positioned throughout the company? Should they be all at top tier, like your your more executive level as you grow, or should they be more close to day to day interactions with your team members? What for you is an ideal position for a leader within a company? Both, both, uh, Haley. It's probably an analogy that I would describe as like having two ladders and trying to climb up both ladders at the same time. So you can't climb up one because you didn't get the other budget. So you go for one step on one ladder and you get the second higher step on the second ladder and you're just going back and forth like this. Second thing is that leader, you need effective leadership at all positions. Leadership isn't a title. You could be a, a lead hand, you could be a supervisor, you could be a manager, you could just be a high seniority person, and you'll still be thought of as a leader from others in that organization. And that's, again, goes back to where you just create this, there's a genuine, authentic, people trust you, that uh, they, they, uh, you have high integrity, and we could go through some of the characteristics later, but you need leadership, good leadership at all levels. And leadership uh, is, uh, like I said, uh, they are, are driving, uh, you know, trying to do the right things. And so you get your business sense of, uh, you know, you, you, what you need to accomplish, but it's just the way they go about that. So they're, 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 they're still mode directing people. They're still getting those good results, but where they, it's how they do it. it it's, um, it, it's not what they do, which describes that great leadership. So with that, the leaders coming up these two ladders on, on, on all levels, uh, one is results oriented. Uh, they're getting the uh, consistency and their operational excellence. So that's that one ladder that they're climbing. So it's mostly their management skills and their management traits. The other one is driving um, the, the the culture. And, and what I really believe is they, the leaders and, and the ones on top are the most responsible, for, let's face it. So they all have different authorities, but, and they need to understand 
and that if you're the leader of a company. So if you're the chief operating officer, if you're the director of operations, you're the owner of that BSE operation, you're the one that's making all the key decisions, like it or not. So if you're not happy with your level of turnover, if you're not happy with the level of your results, if you're not happy with the quality assurance verification uh, numbers that you're getting, you know, typically the bad uh, leaders, which aren't, don't have the leadership skill, they're pointing a finger. And what they've got to recognize is if they point a finger at me, there's three more pointing or three fingers pointing back at them. They're the ones who hired the people or put that process in place. They're the ones who trained or didn't train the people. They're the ones that determined how we're going to onboard the people. So all those results are because of leadership. So leaders creates that culture. And the culture that we need is, like I said, high engagement, high empowerment, motivation, satisfaction. And, and that's critical when you look at the, our times and some of the statistics you've read that that's how many people are disengaged, you know, mildly or assertively disengaged at work. Um, and, and so the second thing is that culture then determines the level of effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, consistency. You know, so if you've got poor people, it doesn't matter what kind of tools you give them, you can be the world's greatest products, it's not going to work. And that consistency then determines the overall levels of clean, healthy, and safe that your operation provides. And that is determining the customer experience. So you'll give a higher customer experience, you're going to get higher retention, you're going to get more customers coming to you. But it's all determined because of what leadership uh, and the ROI that they provide. And like I said, that culture, ensuring that the mission, vision, and uh, core values, guiding principles are aligned with each other and ensuring that each and every person in that organization, them included, follows them, lives them, breathes them all the time. And because and that's sometimes the biggest disconnect. So you could, it's like oil and water. You hire the person. And why did they join that company? Because sometimes companies lie. They put a facade on, oh, we're this and we're this and we do this and we do this. Then they get into the organization and they find out that's not there. So people need to understand what is that, you know, authentic culture. And they'll make a decision. I want to join it or I don't want to join it, if you're really that honest with them. But if they join for one reason and then they're there and find out that this is all malarkey, that this is not the culture, this is not what was promised, this is not the expectation that was promised to me, you get this misalignment. But when you have a genuine, authentic, true north, all those things align with each other and all employees have a true north connection, authentic connection with all those things, that's where you get um, uh, the, the people that are going to have the highest level of engagement because they have that connectiveness, authenticity, uh, they join for the right reason. I love when you talk about the recruiting side of it. I have a stronger background in recruiting. Um, the listeners who've been around for a little bit probably are familiar with my story. Um, but being honest with your applicants throughout the process about who you are, what that job is going to look like, what it's going to look like working with you makes a huge difference when it comes time to offer somebody because you're going to know if they, they're looking you in the eye and they're like, this is not the place I want to work for. Even if they want to accept the offer because of financial or whatever reasons you get to the end, you're going to be able to tell if they're checked in or not. So, you know, early in, you can tell, you can tell if they want to be there for for the right reasons for who you are as a business. You raised two points, um, Haley, and and you know I tried to jot them down, but I, I may have missed it. Number one is that honesty. I, I was talking to one of uh, my clients, and and they mentioned that when they do their initial interviews, 
and this happens before a long-term care home, they say, listen, you'll be cleaning 30 toilets a day, each and every day. You're going to have body fluids of all types. There'll be urine and fecal matter. You may have other uh, uh, messages. You'll be dealing with possible people with dementia. And, in, and the HR person said, you did what? You really told them all that stuff? And he says, yeah, I, I want this person to really know what they're getting into. So that is what I've always shown when you're, as you're re recruiting these people, you share with them. There's the position description. The, accurately. There's the expectations. There's how we're going to deal with subpar performance. And these are, uh, this is our, our core values that we want, our, our guiding principles. And, and if we have people that don't live them, breathe them always at all times, you know what? We're going to ask you to go someplace else. So, so that is, is critical. That setting, that, that really transparent, brutally honest, a truth about what the, the position is. The second thing is, it brings a story, My uh, a friend of ours worked for this company and very quickly left. And they said, and on Indeed, they wrote on there, the, the expectations, what they said during the interview process was nowhere, not like the culture when I was there. Within months, they lost the person. So the second key thing that you mentioned is just, do they check in? And, and Haley, as you know, out there in the real world, people are motivated for one of three reasons for a position and only one of three reasons. And not that one is better than the other. All it means is that whatever that individual's motivation is, if they're going to be a long-term employee, the company has to feed that motivation. They have to reciprocate. So there's certain people that it's just a job. That's all they care about. So what they're saying, how much do I get per hour? What are my benefits? What if I call in sick? Uh, how many vacation days do I get? How do I do this? How do I do this? So you need to speak their language. And all of a sudden, somebody comes out for 25 cents an hour or more, you've lost the person. The second key area is those that uh, um, their, their position is a, you know, is a career. They, they want to be the CEO of a uh, of a two-man company because that gives them, you know, maybe a personal ego or aspirations. Yeah, I'm the CEO. And so they're all career motivated. So they join a company, they say, well, how quickly can I become, you know, a, a manager, a supervisor? But the most important ones, and if you're hiring in a cleaning operation, are those that want a calling. That when those people that view their job as, as a personal calling to them, and we could do that in the cleaning industry. You are saving lives. You're helping save lives. You're keeping people healthier. So if, if you, the trick is, as you're recruiting, you don't want to attract people or offer people that want a job or want a career. You want to be able to attract people and offer them that view cleaning as a calling. And then second of all, then you need to educate them as part of your onboarding process and said, Mike, you are so important in our organization and this facility, let be long-term care school. You are helping keep people healthier by your cleaning. You, those people that are healthier, you may save lives because when they go home and, and visit grandma on, in a long-term care, they're not taking some of these communal uh, pathogens to, to visit the, uh, their grandparents. So if you have the right people with those right attitudes, those right traits that you attract and you hire for that, and then you train them, you know, never hire for skills and experience, hire for attitudes and traits, making sure that they're the right ones. And then you provide an effective onboarding program that educates, trains, and, and develops those people. 
that is where you're going to get operational excellence. And that's where you could lower your, your uh, turnover rate, et cetera. So I just say to all people, so if you're not happy with the quality of your people, if you're not happy with your employee turnover rate, especially the, the ones you want to retain, um, all those things are directly the responsibility of leadership. Leadership has failed in those cases. And if you want to change it, you just can't wish for different results. You can't keep doing the same and expect different results. You're going to have to change probably personally before you drive those uh, changes in your operation. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I used to be the interviewer that would get critique. I had a couple of different um, recruiting positions. And one of the feedbacks I got, they never nitpicked me too much on it, would be, uh, that I, I don't want to say too critical, but that, um, I was too like honest and too upfront. And then I was too critical of, um, whether people would stay or not. And I said, but everybody I've hired is still in the, this, I've hired for a call center <laughs> where they sat on a phone and read a script for hours on end. And they could not mispronounce words and stuff. Like, it was so strict and so boring. And I was like, you know what? I told them. I said, this job is boring and monotonous. You are going to say the same thing over and over again. And depending on your script, you might not be allowed to de deviate. I said, you will get critiqued on how you say words. You will get critiqued on how you uh, intone words. I was like, but it's easy money. You can get into a routine. You can color while you do the job. And usually we do like four to six hour shifts. So it was not like horribly long and the breaks were decent. So I was like, this is what the job is. You know, you came here, you want supporting income. It was a part-time job. And you know what? My people came. One of the people I brought in was probably one of my favorite hires I've ever like made or offers I've ever made, I should say. Because she came in and she not only was like somebody who stuck it out, but she brought this energy and this life. And she was one of those leaders that didn't have a formal leadership position. And she was one of those people that set an example for everybody around her and boosted morale. And so kind of coming back to, to somebody like her or somebody who is in a formal leadership position, what are some of those things that you look for, those indicators that that person is a good leader like they say they are you gave two examples you know when Haley, when you said you're they said you're too honest how could you be too honest you know there's no such thing and, and i think people need to understand that that whole interview both the people being interviewed and the interviewer it's like a game they both come there with this facade on they have this mask on so you as an interview you're as an interviewer, you're trying to say, what's that person really like? Will they fit in here? So you're trying to peel back the mask and take off that facade. And the other person is trying to get a job. So they'll be telling you things, how great they are, how, how much they could produce, et cetera. So they have a facade to get the job. You have this uh, job uh, to maybe attract them. So you create this, like I said, sometimes companies mislead. So the first uh, uh, trait um, indicator is a person with integrity, honesty. Um, you can't be part integrity or part honest. It's either you have it or you don't have. It's either black or white. So to me, that is one of the most critical indicators of a, a good leader, uh, that, that they have this high integrity, high trust. Uh, they never lie. 
They're, 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 they're straight shooter. The second one, and, and, and there's lots of them, but that I look for is smart. You can't train smart that they have smart, that, um, that, that they, they have this ability to learn, they have this desire to learn. So it needs two, that they're smart, that they can learn, but they still, they, they have this, this desire to learn, that they're, they're curious people. Um, from there, I, I think another one would be, you know, grit. They just get things done. They'll stick it uh, uh, to it till, till it is done. But they don't accomplish or, or describe their accomplishments. I did this and I did this. It's we. So you just listen for those words. And then you can tell that they're I person or a we person. Uh, they're committed to the cause. It's, it's not the job. They're, they don't say, well, I'm not going to do that because that's not my job description. They'll just say when change happens and, and the priority of our ch- uh, uh, changes for our team, you know, um, what is the company's true North vision, mission, core values? I always go back to that. And that's what, what they live. Their courage. They're very courageous that they'll, um, you know, they'll take risks. And we talked about that uh, earlier, that one YouTube video, you know, that lone nut uh, that they're out there. They'll, they'll, they'll be that courageous to go out there. They're outspoken with the suggestions. suggestions. Um, you know, on one hand, that they're collaborative, that they, they seek intentionally and with um, uh, integrity and, and honesty and, and, and genuine. They want to get feedback. You know, they may have their way, but they'll recognize it's always more than one way to accomplish something. And if there's five people in the room, there'll be five different ways. Doesn't mean that one is right, one is wrong, but we just need to, to really, A, pick out what's best because people with different paths to that meeting and, and success and uh, skills and attitudes, they may have different, pick the best way, but collaboration then builds uh, that they're all on the same team, which helps in implementation. So once you decide, here's here's a decision, it's important to have a team that's able to execute and that collaboration builds that. You know, Chatty, uh, that person you described, you know, you said she was genuine. She was just a natural leader. People listen. I bet you she was somewhat of a chatty person that people would talk to her and it was be genuine. So it was before breaks, after breaks, but they would make the time. Uh, they would never, you know, be walking down the hall and somebody, uh, and they were good at reading body language. They could look in your eyes, Haley, and say, Haley, what's wrong? I didn't even say nothing. Haley, I could tell just by your eyes or, or by your posture, what's, come on, let's go grab a coffee or let's, if I was a girl, lady said, let's go in a little girl's room and, and, and figure out what's wrong. But that's how attuned they are uh, to, to their people. They truly are a people and people-focused uh, person. Now, there's some other indicators, but that gives you uh, some of the key ones that I believe in. And I, it's fun when you talk about them. I can think of the people I know who have those different attributes. And before we before we kind of transition a little bit to, to tying in retention to the topic of leadership, and we've kind of started to broach it with recruitment and some of the other areas we've mentioned, but there is a little bit of a controversial question. People can have strong answers on this, but for you, can you train a leader or do they naturally have to be a leader? I believe that, yes, you can train certain skills of leadership. Skills like more effective listening. Skills like building better teams. Skills like conducting better one-on-one. So there's certain aspects that you can uh, definitely train them on. But they still need those core traits. And there's certain traits that leadership has to have. So though I went through some of them, but so my the long answer short, if you have a person that's not trustworthy, that people, you know, just don't trust, 
No, you can never make a leader of them. You know, they, sorry, the best thing to do, they're likely probably a cancer in your organization. You're probably better off in the long term, get rid of them out of that organization, uh, be, uh, especially if it's inconsistent to your core values. And that's the biggest problem in organization. They may have core values. We believe in, in trust and respect of all our employees. And then leadership al- allows a certain manager or sometimes it's an employee to get away with them. They show disrespect to other employees, but they're still kept. Why? Well, you know, this unionized environment, I can't get rid of them. Or that's Charlie. They've been around there for 30 years. He means nothing about it. No, it, it can't be gray. It's black or white. Do you, If you have trust and respect of all employees, uh, as a core value, then everybody, the leader, the CEO of the company, if he breaks that, he needs to be dealt with or she needs to be dealt with. And same thing with that employee. So the point is, if they have the right attitudes and traits that we talked about, uh, then yes, you can train them to become more effective in some of those skill building areas. And, and a lot of them are, um, uh, you know, at, at, depends on what level they're at. You know, so if you're starting off at that supervisor level, so maybe training them how to do better one-on-ones, how to have better, more effective listening. Communication skills, and sometimes the words have power and just changing the words. So all those things could be, um, skills can be taught, but I really believe it's like uh, uh, the, uh, the entry. If you don't have those right attitudes and traits, then no, you can never be a leader. Period. You're, and sometimes you can't even be in my organization. That's that alignment again. If they don't have alignment to our core values and, and, and guiding principles, they shouldn't have been, been hired or they, they shouldn't definitely not move up in the organization. But if they have those core values and demonstrate and live those core values and they have the ability and the desire to learn, yes, I believe you could train leadership skills. Uh, some will be naturally uh, better, but the you know the the uh, assumption that leaders are all this outgoing, gregarious, uh, assertive—that's wrong. You look at some great leaders like uh, you know uh, Steve Jobs uh, versus Jack Welch. You know they had two different personalities, but could you say one was a better leader than the other? You know, somebody may argue they like one style better than the other, but they are both very good leaders. And what it was is they had skills. They read the language. They spoke to people at their comfort zone. So they're talking to CEO or talking to uh, a frontline employee. They spoke differently. They could read body language. They could read if their person's understanding, they'll change their message on the flow. Those are all skills. Um, But at the end of the day, those all had those other traits. They typically were doer, grit, high integrity. They uh, were clear and concise in their communications and on and on it goes. Now, I like that answer. I like that it was not a black and white answer because I think I've I've heard a lot of black and white leaders are uh, born, not made is uh, one I've heard come from other people and I've heard the opposite. So, um, no, I it, it is both parts for that reason. Now, with that, with talking about the impact of these leaders or these managers, those ones who don't quite reach that level of leader in um, the what they bring to the table is retention. It's the, the golden thing in every organization is can you keep the people who bring value to your organization? Can you retain them over time? And we've, we've alluded that sometimes whether it's a lack of honesty in your recruitment process, whether it's poor leadership, 
you can lose people within weeks or months of of getting them but retention itself is is a hot hot topic right now for good reason um and with that i liked this t- particular topic of conversation because of actually your linkedin um so to kick off you had a article i believe that you shared about the misconceptions of employee happiness and because employee happiness is so closely tied to if you can retain that person or not um so i want to talk a little bit more about retention itself how it's defined and how leaders view what misconceptions they have about retention and so i guess for you how do you what are some of your top misconceptions or misunderstandings that you see within organizations about it? Well, sometimes on the cleaning operations side, they'll say, yeah, but we have pizza nights uh, once a week, Friday nights, et cetera. So uh, our, our employees should be happy. Uh, well, no, no, they're not. There's a big difference uh, between retention and happiness is not necessarily the, the key. What you, what you need is engagement that they, they feel part of that. So um, that's a misconception that giving them pizzas is going to make them happy. Giving them another five cents an hour is going to make them happy. Uh, we're all individuals. And it, it really goes back to, to have that, what we said earlier, Haley, is have that clear understanding is saying you need to start with your organization. What, again, I'm repeating myself, but what is, you know, our vision, mission, core values, objectives, et cetera. And, and sometimes they're not aligned with each other, especially when you break it down into strategy and tactic, they need to be aligned with each other. And they mean everybody adhered to them at all times. That needs to become an authentic true north. So if you then go back and hire the right people and, and it goes uh, where, and like I said earlier, that you hire people more for it's their calling. They really do want to clean. And I've met frontline cleaners. You can tell they really want to clean. They enjoy cleaning. They're, they're just by nature. They're punctual. They're reliable. They're consistent. Uh, they're, they, um, uh, you know, for that working alone. But then if you expect them to work in team, you want to make sure you hire them, that they fit in with the other team members. All those things that you see people that they just love their job. They love coming to the work. They love working. And, and somebody said, Mike, that's all BS out there. No, there are some people. I've personally worked with them uh, that they just love what they're doing. And But leadership then creates that. So it's who you hire. So if you have oil and water, no matter how much you shake it up, they're not going to mix. So you want to hire people that are going to get along with, with the others. So in satisfaction is more than just, um, uh, you know, pizza nights. It's more than just saying, I pay competitive wages. Those things become table stakes. You need to pay a fair competitive wage. But what really drives levels of satisfaction is the alignment of their own personal motivation, job, career, or calling to how they're being treated in that organization. You, regardless which one it is, if they want a job, give them a job. If they want a career, you need to give them a career. If they want a calling, you need to give them that calling. And then from there is how you typically develop people. And, 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 and in our organ and cleaning operations, there's always ways to develop people. So they feel that, especially they're calling, I'm coming here, I'm doing something of value. But somebody says, Mike, how can we provide, how can we provide somebody with development? I says, easy. It's easy. You take your best cleaner over after a while. Says, you know, Mike, you're you're one of my better cleaners. I'd like you to join and help us um, organize, project manage, 
our, our, our onboarding program. I'd like you to help train our new employees. So Mike, you know what I'm giving you? I'm teaching project management skills. I'm teaching you training skills. I'm teaching you to become a trainer. So within an organization, you become a good cleaner. You may become a good uh, uh, trainer. You may become a good manager. You know, you work with me. I can mentor you that to give mentorship for leadership or for management. So those typically don't cost anything, but you're able to help that person develop. And before they know this, like, you know what? This is a calling, but here I'm gaining better development than someplace else. So those are, are, are just two ways of this misconception about retention. At the end of the day, um, the, the third thing is I look at is if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. You go and look at some people's um, companies. Okay, Haley, show me your, your strategy and plan. How you attract? How do you recruit? Show me your, you know, your, your, how you train. And nothing's in writing. Well, we just wing everything. Well, how do you expect me to edit what you do if it's not in writing? So the best way is if you're not satisfied – you go back and provide some analytics and saying, okay, here's our ad or here's how we train. How can we do a better job? So you take it, you edit it to improve upon that. But at the end of the day, if a company is not satisfied with their retention rate of employees or the retention rate of their desired employees, um, you know, it's, um, it's not going to just change overnight. You can't wish saying, I wish it to be better. You need to change something. And the best thing to do is if you have things, go back to how you do it, make those adjustments. But the key for me is if you want to have engaged, motivated, satisfied, uh, happy uh, employees, it's a function of how you hire, you know, and which, is, which really is how you attract and recruit. But how you hire them, did you hire the right ones? Did you hire the right best ones for your specific operation, which could be different than somebody else's? You know, but you need to, are they best for you? And then the second key thing is how you onboarded them. Onboarding is critical because that could shorten their, their time to become productive. But the statistics have shown that's the greatest indicator of uh, employee uh, retention. And, and most of the time, it's because what their expectations were, because what the interviewer promised them as a job, they're going to see it firsthand. They're going to say, holy man, this company really isn't that organized holy man, what they say and what they do here, if this is a cleaning operation and I just came out of that, that custodial closet that looks like a pig pen, you know, no, there, there's a disconnect there. So the authenticity of how you onboard and then from there, that initial education training will typically make a huge, huge uh, difference. But the choice is yours as leaders. If you're happy with it, keep doing what you're doing. If you're not happy with it, don't just wish for better results. You're going to have to change how you attract, recruit, and hire, and how you educate, train, and develop. And I wanted to kind of go back a little bit in, in what you were talking about. When you were talking about who you pick for those trainings and giving that position that or that person that path to growth, you talked about going up and saying, I would like you to train, this is what it can do for you. There was another something that was going on in that situation. And it was that <laughs> that leader was placing trust in that frontline employee. And the one thing with people, as you've gotten them in, and as they've grown, and they've gained skills is that they would hopefully gain responsibility and trust over time. And so your team members want to see that. And part of that engagement is that display of trust. And so with that, it doesn't always have to be that particular example of giving them the opportunity to train. Some people, it's not going to be their their thing. They're not looking for that pathway. 
you know, everybody's a bit different, but showing trust in their skills and what you've trained them to do is going to help engage them. It's going to go a long way because employees can tell when you don't trust them or if you're not interacting with them at all, they don't feel trusted. So awesome. No, you're absolutely. But when you said employees could tell, that's what's got to be authentic. Whatever you do, they could they could tell and it just, uh, you know, it's just uh, motions. It's not authentic. That's not really. They are. It has to be authentic. And, and, and when, even when you say thank you, it has to be an authentic thank you. You know, you, you praise them in public. It could be a simple handwritten note. It could be something that, that you catch them doing something right at the right time. Uh, that's authenticity is what's most important. Showing trust is critical. And that's one of those things that some leaders that if they're not untrustworthy, if that person, you know, there's a, an old show you won't, won't remember, but from my days, uh, there was a salesman called Herb Tarlick and one of those people, uh, WKRP in Cincinnati is the name of the show, but he just was a slimy type of salesperson. You sit there and, oh man, talking, I want to go have a, a bath or a shower. And, and sometimes leaders are that way that nobody trusts them. So you can't make that person a leader because of that trait that they have. So showing trust is critical. And showing trust sometimes means not micromanaging. So managers micromanage, typically. They'll say, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's what I want you to do it. You know, it's, it's micromanaging. And a leader will say, um, Haley, uh, here's um, the expectations that I have. Uh, you know, here's what I want done. Here are the expectations of how of uh, the results of how it's done. I'm here to provide resources. How you get there is up to you. But I have trust in you. I have faith that you're going to deliver. And if you need help, you come to me. So if you fail and you don't ask me for help, that's on you. But if you fail and you ask me for help, then it's on me. You know, that's a, just an example that, that you just show them, here's what I want done. Here are the resources I'll give you, and I'll be there to help you. If you need help figuring it out, I'll be there for you. Uh, that is critical. That is critical because there's always more than one way to accomplish something. So just because I do it this way, it doesn't mean it's the only way that it could be done or should be done, or doesn't even mean it's the, the best way. You know, I'm human. You may have a better way. You may have different skills and experiences uh, to it. So how do, I, how do I, why do I care how you do it? All I'm interested as a leader are the results accomplished. Now, one quick example, I did this, uh, uh, part-time uh, fill-in for uh, uh, you know a, a friend of mine, a colleague. Uh, it was at a, at a, uh, a university at uh, the beginning of COVID. One of his employees had to go off sick with a hip operation, and they said, "Mike, we can't hire anybody because they're off only going off sick. It's COVID. I need someone that could come in that knows how to handle unionized crew, willing to work steady nights." Um, and uh, really does understand the engineering and science of cleaning. So I took the gig. Part of that was uh, I had this floor care uh, crew. I actually had two doing floor care, one and another crew doing labs and, and lecture halls, et cetera, on nights. So I was watching one of the floor care crews do something, and I went up to them, and I just started asking questions. Example, Haley, why are you doing it this way? What about this? What are your objectives? What are you finding? This, that, and the other thing. Uh, just asking questions and genuinely interested and not waiting for my turn to talk, but what are you telling me? At the end of the day, I said, you know what? Uh, I think there may be a better way. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. But Haley, what about this? And and then the, that person said, well, that, 
that won't work. We tried that. That doesn't work. And I said, you know what, Haley, could you humor me? Could you do me a favor? I trust you. I trust you that you're going to make the right decisions because you want to have good looking floors. You want to have happy people that's ergonomically best for them. So try my way. Okay. And then report back to me what you thought produced the best results was ergonomically best for your employees and what you'd recommend moving forward. So they came back after a while, uh, two or three days and says, Mike, your way worked better. But you know what, Mike, I, you could have simply told us. You were our, our, our supervisor. You could have said, that's the way I want it done. But you didn't. You actually asked us questions. You, you treat us with respect. There's a genuine that we, we knew we could talk to you and you weren't going to shoot us down. You listened to us. And then you said, we trust you to try it. And then you make your decision. And we really believe that regardless of what we decided, you were going to you were going to have our backs. You would support that decision. And I think that's the, the example of trust or demonstrating trust or another leadership lesson, Haley. It's that willingness to collaborate. I don't, I think oftentimes when you have somebody who is just a manager, there's such a gap in that trust for one, but in collaboration, there's not a free flowing, you know, uh, line of communication or ideas or um, I, I know sometimes we just talk to our team members to to throw ideas around. I'll call my boss and be like, hey, I'm working on this and it's a really simple project and just want to throw ideas back and forth. And sometimes she has some to add, uh, maybe not. But the cool thing is, is when she turns around and she comes to me for ideas um, or I'm doing that with somebody else and they come back to me just to pick my brain or just to get idea. I, I, whatever position you are in, when you can have that trust and that relationship, it just makes people feel a lot more valued and empowered to sometimes think outside the box and oftentimes it's rewarding there's a reason they do what they do and right. that they continue to they're good at it they know stuff when somebody's i mean especially in my team we all do different things we're very specialized in what we do so when you can demonstrate your expertise or you know show that you know what you're doing or grow what you what you're doing even it it's it's rewarding it's going back to what you said before it's empowering and it allows you to better engage with the organization that you work for so and it's motivational like i'm sure you feel not only engaged but you're motivated to want to go out there and and think outside the box as you said uh, think in a different paradigm to really understand that that there may be different ways is that what we what we think is right um, is a function of our values, our beliefs, our experiences, what got us to to us to that our pathway wherever we are. If we're a 21 year old pathway, or if we're a, a you know a 61 year old pathway, but our values, our beliefs, our experiences, they form things. And in our mind, we're like a computer screen. We sometimes get blocked in. We're we're not trying to to think and see. Uh, what we're doing is just recalling. You know, our memory goes back and said. Last time it was done, this is what uh, I did, and it worked out here. And, and those, the let it be the values and, and beliefs, or let it be misbeliefs and misvalues, uh, they unfortunately limit, uh, put a constraint uh, on our mind and what we're willing to accept. So collaboration is one, and then it goes to uh, a certain skill that I, I, I um, uh, think people can enhance, Haley, is just listening skills. So many people 
are not great listeners. And then if you break down listening, um, you know, I, I believe there's really two components. One is, who do I have my attention on? So if you and I are sitting in, in your office and, and uh, I'm watching, uh, you know, you wanted to come in, uh, I wanted to see you and, and you're my uh, uh, leader and I'm noticing you, you're looking at the clock on the wall or you left the door open, you're watching the people go by, your computer screen's on and Mike, yeah, whatever you're saying is very important to me, but I need to finish this memo here, blah, blah, you know, you're tipping, typing away, et cetera. So who do you have your attention on? Me or you? clearly you. So that's the first component. And it's not rocket science. What I'm saying is that's why if somebody has the ability to learn and they have the desire to learn and they truly have this personality, those traits and attitude uh, that are, that are right, that they're wanted, that they want it. You you can't treat, you can't, you can't teach somebody to give respect if inherently they're just not a very nice person. So if they have that, you can teach them uh, listening. So second part of listening skills is what am I looking for? What am I looking for? Am I really looking for what's the gold? What's the trade-off? What's, what, how can this be a successful collaboration? You know, or am I waiting for my turn to talk? You know, so I'm thinking ahead. Haley, I've been there, done that. Here's the answer. Haley, I know the answer. I'm cutting you off, et cetera. So who do I have my attention on? And, and, and second of all, what am I looking for? Am I looking for truly a better collaborative approach, or I'm looking to tell you what I, I want to tell you. So I'm waiting for my turn to talk. And then I think that's where it really comes back in real simple things. You teach, you know, you talk to so, Haley, I think I understand what you said. Uh, let me repeat it to make sure I do understand. And you're really looking for this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, so if I do that, then yeah, Mike, you got it. Or you could say, Mike, could you repeat to me what, what the, I just said? But again, those are certain things you could teach the right person. You could teach them skills on how to become more effective listeners or more effective leaders, as we talked about earlier, but only, only, only if they have those inherent, um, you know, attitudes and, and traits. Uh, otherwise, you could try, but you can't take that person that nobody trusts and so we're going to teach you how to listen properly and you're going to become this effective leader. They don't trust you. That's why I said my, my key one, trust, integrity, and it's got to be extremely high levels and not sometimes, it's always. I, yeah, I mean, I can't <laughs> say it better. Um, there is, you can tell when someone is not listening to you and you're, I, <laughs> I'm a visual person. So as you were talking, I was laughing because I could see somebody sitting back in my office space and I'm trying to talk to them and they're just staring at my lava lamp because <laughs> yeah, I have a lava lamp in my, my workspace. Um, you, you know, you know, when somebody's not paying attention to you and it doesn't feel good and you know, when that trust isn't there and those are things, like you said, you can't teach someone else. Um, you can teach them to listen, but you can't teach them trust or you can't teach them the willingness to listen rather like they have to be willing to do it. Right. And that goes back to your point about the smart side of it, the willingness to learn and the ability to learn those skills that they might not have as plentiful as the other ones. So critical. And that's why in today's organization, you know, uh, you, know, you and I are, are at different ends of the professional cleaning industry. You're coming in, and, and, and uh, I only have another 50 years left for myself. But the point is, 
you know, you, I hear it in the older generation. They keep on saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. This younger generation, the younger generation. And I've seen so many examples in all different areas uh, of the younger generation and say, you know what? If more young people were like that person, we have nothing left to, uh, to worry about. Uh, they're likely going to be better. They bring it. So if we just entrust and saying, if we have that person that, that, you know, that, that has that aspiration to drive positive change in the cleaning industry, if they have the ability to learn, desire to learn, you know, and, and if they are smart, so just those three things, ability to learn, desire to learn, and smart. And if I could see in them that they have some, uh, and that's all you need. I, I could take that person or Jill, Jill could take you. She could teach you everything about the cleaning industry. She could teach you how to run a swing machine. She could teach you how to sell a swing machine. She could probably teach you how to repair a swing machine, but only if you have the ability and desire to keep on learning and, and you have that personality that says, yeah, I want to learn it. And uh, Jill see that I'm willing to teach you. So that's becomes critical with the younger folks coming in that they have all these skills. Sometimes what we need to do is um, understand that, just because that's the way we like to learn or we like to communicate or we like to teach, it doesn't mean that's the way the all people want to learn, teach, uh, learn. To, you know, there are different times, different volumes of content, different methods of delivering that content. We just need to back off and say, again, that leadership, here's sort of the results I'm expecting. You know, here's sort of the resource I could give you. I trust that, you know, I, I, I trust you to, to be able to do it. I'll be here as a mentor or as a coach. I'm the banker. Think of me as a banker, Haley. You come to me when you need to make some withdrawals and stuff, and I'll guide you, coach. I could act as that mentor, but I trust you. And in a good leadership, uh, and sometimes in an organization, is a, um, a skill called sandwiching. And, and I learned that from a mentor that I had. So they would take a person like Haley, and I could bring you in on any level of a company. So I'll bring you in and uh, level. And if you even knew nothing about that particular staff position or, you know, operational position, I say, Haley, I'm going to sandwich you. Mike, what do you mean? Well, you're going to report to somebody very senior. You're going to report to, you know, Jill. And you know what? All your team members are very senior as well. And they all should be good. So you're going to learn. We're going to short your learning curve because if somebody steps out of line and starts misleading you and say, Haley, we should do this, this, and this. What are you going to do? You're going to go to Jill and seek approval or seek counsel and say, hey, does this make sense? And Jill's going to start laughing and said, ah, Haley, they fished you in. Don't believe all that stuff, et cetera. So really, if you sandwich that person, if you have the ability to learn, desire to learn, and right personality, you put them in that right position, very quickly, they could learn our industry. They could learn all aspects of it, stick them into HR, stick them into finance, stick them into operational, stick them into marketing, as long as they have ability to learn, desire to learn, and you sandwich in with, with good people that want to teach uh, and, and mentor the, the young, that company is going to be able to, you know, definitely, definitely outpace and outperform the aspirational goals of all their competitors, because the key difference you know, are they going to argue that their chemicals different than somebody else or their equipment is different? No. The only thing that truly makes a big difference and the only way to truly differentiate those results is through your people. So if you invest in your people the way they should be invested as, as being your most important asset, so you make that investment and then you hire the right people, the best people, you invest in them, uh, you're going to be able to clearly outpace all your competition.
because they'll want to work with you. You're going to not, you're going to have the lower retention rate. They're going to want to come to your operation because they're going to hear about how great it is to work at Haley's company. And then the other ones are going to get what's left behind. But we know what all the other companies don't want, what all the other cleaning operations don't want, what um, uh, they've left everybody else. So they're going to get left with that. And you're not going to have operational excellence with subpar employees and subpar uh, leadership. I agree. It's yeah, it is one of those things. I've seen it preached again and again, and I've been the one preaching it as far as it, who you bring in. It makes all the difference as far as you have to attract them. And it's not a sales process. Like I, when I was recruiting, it was always treated as this sales, like push it, glorify it. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, you, you, I like to think you're going to market your position. You're going to show it off a little bit. But once you start pushing and selling it, you're going to lose the ability to really draw in the right people, right? You want those people who fit. And so a lot of that goes back to the earlier point of being genuine and being honest when you're recruiting, having your leaders embody that. And, I, and, 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 and you're absolutely and a good example is uh one of my other uh, uh clients were talking and and uh they happened to be looking in uh they were running a long-term care facility so when you say marketing so the typical market you put these ads in the paper you may put it on deed you put it all over here and it really wasn't working for them and and so what they thought outside the box not too far from their facility was low-income housing for single mothers so you had this complex with single mothers with children, um, probably needing assistance in economics. So they just said, we're going to go there and post jobs there. So what did they attract? Mothers with a calling. You know, what mothers do for their kids, they'll give up anything to look after the kids. So all of a sudden, um, you, you sit there and say, yeah, we want a full-time job, want a part-time job. I don't care. We have a full-time job. I'll break it up in two for you. So yeah, you could now put your kids off to school, come here in a work of, of four hours, and then be back at home to greet them. Somebody else would say, well, I'll, I'll need to uh, be home because that's when, uh, till, till six, because I need to feed the kids and someone else will be coming there to look after the kids. I could work the afternoons or night shift, but you really be flexible and fluid and, and, and how you, you, you talk to them. But that's a genuine demonstration of, of uh, showing the concern for your employee. I want you to be happy and I want you to have this great life, uh, you know, work balance. So I'm not asking you to disrupt your, 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 your time at home, but how they, they didn't have to market. They just changed their approach. And then they went after the right people. So these people had a calling. They wanted to serve. They wanted, they, they, they really did. And it's not BS Haley. It's inherently in their, you know, their DNA that they really believe that they were helping keep the elderly you know, healthier. They may have had parents that suffered from dementia or or some of the other uh, you know uh, diseases. So when they're looking at and serving them, they were saying, you know what, that's like what my father or my mother. I, I don't mind giving to. Not everybody could do it. I couldn't do it. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to work in a long term care home. But you find that right alignment that there. It's a calling for them, and you're you're helping them have this work life balance. And it's all genuine and they could see through it. So then that you expect that person to leave. Say, yeah, I could pay you 25 cents more, but you got to take a bus and you got to go there. You join in this, this toxic environment, et cetera. 
And the last thing that we throw out there is good leaders actually have surveys in place, I believe, that measures it. You know, so it could be an annual survey and they just start measuring. So they'll start saying, okay, data doesn't lie. The right data paints a better picture. And if you have the data and put those, uh, analyze it, it's going to tell you what you're, uh, you know, maybe have some concerns. You don't know, but then you make those adjustments in certain areas to say, did it make a difference? Did it improve it? But, you know, are you really measuring employee satisfaction? What we first all talked about. How do you know your employees aren't satisfied? Is it going up or is it going down? Well, if you start measuring it, then you can see, well, we tried this and we tried this and we tried this and it moved the needle up or down how much, et cetera. But, you know, what gets measured gets done. So start measuring employee satisfaction. Do you, do you start measuring things like net promoter score? Start measuring things like levels of engagement, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, empowerment that they feel. Start measuring retention rate. Start measuring retention rate of the desired employee. So I don't mind having a retention rate if I'm getting rid of my my bad employees, but I'm more concerned if I'm getting some rid of my best employees, most tenured employees, et cetera. But how many companies really do an adequate job determining what their KPIs are and measuring them uh, annually as part of a survey and then reviewing that data, seeking assistance for ideas uh, from someone like yourself, an HR expert, you know, I'm an operation guy. What do I know about HR? You know, my role might be simple. Let's just fire everybody. I'm just kidding. But have respect to say, you know what? There's what the data says. I'm as a leader, not happy with the data. I'm going to seek out counsel to experts in that relative field. Clearly it's an HR thing. Haley, what are your ideas? What are your suggestions? What can we try? Because, uh, you know, example, if we have a 200% employee turnover rate, you know, and some BSCs have that, here's what it's costing us. So once you get the data, try to affix some monetary value to it. Well, uh, we, we brought that person in and, and, and train, uh, provide this in salary, and now they're gone. So that's a cost. We, how much time went into uh, placing the dollars went in placing those ads? Okay, we got that cost. Haley, the HR manager, how much time did they uh, place? We had 25 people. She did phone interviews, then she did a second phone interview, maybe. She did maybe a personal interview, and then went over to the hiring manager, and they may did something. How much did all that cost? She's saying, holy man, we did it for 100 employees. We only have one. There's a huge cost. So you maybe it's better to take those costs and invest it in a different way to hire and a different people to hire and maybe a different invest more in a, a different onboarding and training education program. So those are some things that, again, great leadership do. You know, they understand they have KPIs and they, they know what's the, what the important KPIs for their results that they're interested in. And then they understand that uh, behaviors and actions drive those KPIs. So once I have the KPIs, these are the behaviors I want. And that determines the type of people I want, their motivation, and the type of incentives. So I'm going to provide incentives, measurement, coaching, um, et cetera, to drive the right behaviors, which in turn will drive the right results, which will then allow me to hopefully have the highest level of clean, healthy, and safe at the lowest overall cost. Right. I mean, you know... I'm thinking back to your your earlier example of uh, going to the apartment complex. And as a recruiter, we did something similar. We thought, okay, who are our most successful team members? What kind of people are they? What kind of lifestyles do they live? Awesome. Why, why do they do this kind of job? Like what right. makes them tick in this job? And we thought about where those people were. And it, we did do the apartment. We went to several near apartment complexes where there was 
uh, access to the TARDA bus lines because a lot of our team members commuted that way and that they were close by so their commute was short and that we could appeal to them because a lot of them were single family, single parent households or needed just extra income for a few hours a week to balance a couple bills that they those were our demographics we also because we hired 16 plus had a lot of high schoolers that would do the job throughout high school and they performed very well because they could come in they could do the work they could maybe work on their homework between calls and on their breaks and it was close to home so we went to the high school where we had a lot of um teenagers that came to work for us for them and we did open interviews on site with them we worked with their administrators and if we had high schoolers that didn't quite fit the bill we could coach them and give them tips and tricks when they're looking for jobs or things like that or things to work on before they replied and i mean the people you got in from those kind of positions were the people that typically stayed the high schoolers you knew you're probably going to have high school maybe college if they were going out on that route a lot of them might come back later as a part-time job and then your retiree community besides like the single parent households that need extra income the retiree community who just needed a little extra something to keep them going because they they couldn't do nothing. We had a lot of those type of people who wanted a little extra spending money or just were restless. My favorite was an ex-teacher. She just could not sit at home. She's like, I need something to do. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we did that kind of thing. And the impact it made is that, you know, I worked there for eight months. The people I hired at the beginning of the eight months were so integrated into the the call center environment and it was a call center i mean typically really high turnover just like the cleaning industry you have if you don't have that fit you're going to lose people very very quickly sometimes right after training because it um was notorious i don't know how the cleaning industry is the call center industry was very notorious for people who would come in just for training because you have to pay for training you have to pay for that training period. They come in, they do their orientation and training, and they dip out. Yeah, Haley, it's um, what I love. What you just said was probably two things that that really resonated with me. That that you know connected was you tried something different. It wasn't this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way we're always going to continue to do it. And we're going to just hope and wish for better results. No, keep doing what you've always been doing. The best you're going to get is what you've always got. So you came in there and changed the paradigm, change how we're you're going to do things, which makes sense. If you want different results, you've got to do something different. Now, the second thing is what I loved, and it's a, and I call it the reverse marketing. So you must have marketing in your blood. You have to have marketing in your blood because what you did is something that 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 you know that I would counsel all companies to do. You know, if, if they come to me and say, "Well, Mike, how could I grow my sales?" And I say, first of all, don't treat all your customers the same. That's okay for moms and dads, but you cannot treat all your customers the same. You need to identify your best, fastest growing, most profitable customers, not the ones with the highest sales, not the one with the highest GP percentage, but you need to drill down a bit, uh, identify the fastest growing, most profitable customers. Once you have that, typically, uh, like in distribution, the 80-20 rule comes to play. 20% of those your customers drive 80% of your net income. So why would you spend the same time with those bottom um, 80%? Because if you do, you know what you're doing? You're robbing from that top 20. You're going to lose those top 20. So once you have that, 
then do what you did. Go find more like that. Find their, I really drill down, understand their, their demographics, their, their uh, psychographics, understand maybe market segments, et cetera. So you learn to talk the way they want to be talked to. So this is what they want, how they want it, when they want it, the volume that they want it, the delivery of they want it. And again, not the way I want to do it, not the way I learned, uh, you know, uh, X years ago, you need to go down to that individual level and give it. And that's exactly what you did on the HR side. You identified your best uh, employees that are that were retaining and, and providing the, the outputs and the outcomes that you wanted, and you start looking at it, okay, where they come from? What's their uh, you use demographics? And I'm sure you had other analytics in there, but then you say, well, that's the best place to to get more of these people is um, uh, in these environments where they hang around. It may be Facebook groups uh, of that association, it may be uh, geographic in that complex, it may be the school. It doesn't matter, but you brought in change of paradigm, which I applaud. And then you used, you know, skills from marketing and applied it to, uh, we're not selling our, our widgets or our services, but we want to, uh, to do a better job on getting the right people. Now that we want the best of those right people, because that will make a huge difference. Those inputs into our, our people side will make a huge difference on operational excellence. I, it's exactly what we did. And I was fortunate I had a team. So when we started to think, break down what we needed to do, what kind of people we needed to attract, it was, we were able to pull groupthink and really put our heads together and, and say, what are our options? What can we try for the lowest possible cost? Because we really didn't have a budget. We could print paper. <laughs> You know, and you don't, I mean, honestly, you you don't need a crazy budget, this industry or others. There's so many solutions that as you're growing, you can reach people without spending all this money and doing all these crazy things. It's just being, understanding what are your needs, what are your culture and where those people are most likely to be and then speaking their language, which I believe is something you mentioned earlier in the call is you got to, you got to speak their language. You got to talk to them at an individual level and that's that's what leaders do right awesome awesome no it's uh it nailed it right there and you can't keep doing what you've been always doing and and just wish for different results and that's what you you change that that uh, that, that becomes critical and again uh, authenticity uh, like you know you you spoke to them the way they wanted to be spoken to is and the generations are different. So if you look at the baby boomers, gener generation X, what motivates the, those different generations, and and uh, uh, you know how they ex you know, what their expectations are, how they expect to be uh, learn things or be taught things, are, are different. And if you don't understand that, if you're not able to put that into practice, you're going to lose. But again, it's not difficult. You know, it, it's um, relatively uh, simple when you think of it. But so many people find it um, uh, not easy to do. And, and unfortunately, it's on the execution side, typically. But it all, uh, again, starts with, you know, why were you able to do that? You know, so uh, again, clearly you have the skills. But what I'm seeing is whoever was your leader, that they allowed you to do it. You know, they trusted you. And like you said, you didn't have much of a budget. So it's that whole, you know, balancing of risk reward. So that's all they were doing as, as your leader saying, okay, what's the potential reward here? Well, we could get better people that stay around longer. That's going to have better contributions. That's a potential reward. You know, what's the risk? Well, we don't hire anybody. Well, that's not, that's not much. So they're able to say, okay, there you go, Haley, go and do it. So if you, even if you failed, 
you know, I'm sure they had trust that you're going to be successful. But even if you failed, what did it cost the organization? But if you succeeded, look at all the great results you brought to them. So that is what we said earlier, that the great leaders will take chances. They're curious. They may say, you know what? I don't think Gailey's right, but I'm curious to see maybe she is right. I'll let her do it. So that curiosity and, and taking chances um, and, and having trust. And the other thing that great leaders always have, Haley, um, which we didn't mention earlier, but I'd like to add that is they'll always have your back. They'll recognize that if you were successful, they'll point at you. So Haley, this was Haley's idea. Haley did everything and rah, 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 Haley. But if you failed, I'll guarantee you that just the way you described, you know, that, that working, I'll guarantee you if you failed, that leader would have took responsibility. I'll say, no, Haley reports to me. I'm the one that authorizes it. If somebody is at fault, it's me. So great leaders will always have their backs. They may discipline an employee. They may, they may coach and encourage them when needed. But at the end of the day, it's like that, that uh, like a great coach. They'll be talking positive 10, 15 times before they give one negative. But if they do give something negative, you know what's coming from a, you know authentic position that they want you to succeed, that they'll always have your backs. And that, again, being smart, being, you know, uh, curious and, and courageous, et cetera, um, and, and, and integrity, uh, the other one that's right up there will have to be having the backs of their people. Always. Right. And you hit the nail on the head. I've had two really fantastic leaders since I've begun my somewhat diverse career. And the one uh, in that position at the time, our uh, HR manager was amazing. We were all interns at the time. There was a group of four of us. And she really gave us the reins. She set the training in place to make us good at what we needed to do. And then she gave us the reins and encouraged us to branch out and go above and beyond where we could. And then there were some things I remember, like HR interns are not going to handle workman's comp claims you're never going to let your HR interns handle that. But <laughs> when she had one come in, which they happen, we had a very, very large team of uh, very diverse people. They come in, she would bring us in every so often and say, hey, I just wanted to walk you through and show what this looks like and what the process is. Sometimes we talk about like, oh, how could we make this more streamlined and things like that. And we'd see you know, we had ideas, she'd take them up and she'd give us credit as exactly as you said. Um, the other the other boss that I've had the fortune of having such great leadership and guidance and support, somebody who has my back has been Jill. So, you know, and I've gotten to grow under uh, under both women and like become so much better at my job for that. And so it, nail on the head for sure with those descriptors. It's complimentary, like, you know, in both those examples, you're, you're, you're the leader of HR, she got benefits. So she, she was able to streamline the, the uh, activity. She had this motivated, engaged staff. Nobody was leaving. And she made the time to, to I'm sure she could have just done it, but she made the time to get you involved uh, and say, well, maybe they'll come up with a better idea, but that's how you learn. So it did not cost, they didn't have to invest you know, thousands of dollars sending you away to uh, some coaching or training school. It was just hands-on mentoring uh, in that office or boardroom that you actually developed. You got deeper, wider in those skills. And same thing with Jill. Jill just knows that, uh, that uh, you know, so she, she's, she's helping you, but you're helping her. A great leader 
as we said earlier, they, they, always, they have this continuous, they want to learn. So I, I, I know that you're learning from Jill, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but Jill and her skill set is learning from you, and that in turn makes uh, the company better because you're both growing skills. You're getting deeper, wider, stronger, uh, and, you're, and you're surrounding yourselves not with like people. So you and Jill are opposite in so many different ways, but what that means is a stronger team as opposed to everybody being just like Jill and having all the skill sets of Jill and just being yes people to Jill. Unfortunately, some leaders, that's how they believe. They surround themselves with yes people. And if you don't agree with me, then, then you're out. No, the best leaders will say, no, I want to surround myself with diversity of skills, experiences, and, uh, and uh, traits. And, and I want to be collaborative. I want to truly listen to them, genuinely listen to them, because there may be a better way. But at the end of the day, all of us get along so well that, you know, you'll convince Jill or you or Jill will convince you. But I guarantee at the end of the day, if, if Jill uh, says, this is what I've heard you loud and clear, Haley, I respect you for that position. I made my decision. Let's move forward. You'll give Jill 110%. And again, that is just an example of, of great leadership is uh, the fact that you'll, you'll do everything for that. Those two leaders you gave as, as your example. Why? Because you knew that they trusted you. They respected you. Uh, it wasn't just uh, words. It was what they did and how they did it. And, and that's so important. And that's how any type of operational build operational excellence and as I said at the very beginning, is that leadership is going to become more and more critical in this time of the great resignation when all companies, all industries are going to have a tough time finding people, never mind finding the right people or the best people, but the ones that figure it out are going to be able to create a huge, huge advantage for themselves because they're going to have the best people, which will be a great uh, uh, differentiation uh factor in, in driving, uh, you know, those operational results, which typically are aspirational to the organization. I agree. All right. Well, I don't want, I feel like we could talk for <laughs> a really long time. This is a really good topic. Um, the last thing I just wanted to touch on before we, before we fully close it out is, you know, there's a reason we pulled you on here is that you really truly do have a plethora of knowledge and expertise and you are the descriptor of the leader that you have put in front of us, right? You build up that trust. You have that willingness to learn, that thirst to learn, and the integrity to get there. So, you know, people don't have to just listen to this episode and leave it. They can come back and you do this sort of thing for a living. You have your own company and you consult, but you're also doing a nine-week course coming up in September that uh, covers some of the things that we talked about, right, but also goes a lot further. Um, and so I'll let you talk for a moment about that because I think that's a great opportunity for our listeners. Thank you. Um, from, you know, 30-plus years in the industry, we talked about in, in, my, in the bio working for manufacturers, small, medium, and large, international scope, uh, to distribution, to BSCs, to in-house venues, long-term care. I want to give back. And uh, one thing that I, and I, it's been some some jogs along the way, some pathway, but now what I'm doing uh, is I want, I'm offering a course. I want to take it virtual online. So anybody around the world could take it a virtual. They'll be able to download lessons and there'll be nine lessons. 
uh, typically about an hour in length, be voice over PowerPoint, which is the education. They could stop it, pause it, uh, take some screenshots. They'll have access to that for the whole program if they forget anything. But once they learn it, then I give them uh, an assessment sheet, a worksheet that they could then apply their knowledge they're site-specific. So it's not saying there's the plan, every operation needs that. No, depending on your objectives, your resources, your priorities, what you have in place today, it'll all be different. So nine times they get a lesson, they get these modules, and at the very end, uh, they'll learn about 140 considerations and how best-in-class does it. But it integrates people. And, and, and people are, 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 are you know, the, what's, what's critical. So if you think of the analogy of a car, um, most operations, they look at product procedures, protocols, and policies. That's a low-lying fruit. They're typically changing. Oh, I'm going to give you a better, you know, disinfectant. You're going to do a better job. I'll give you a better autoscope. You can do a better job. Um, they change the frequency. We're going to get better results. Well, no, uh, that is like looking at the car. So, Haley, if you close your eyes and, and just imagine your car. And now when you, uh, in your mind, the color, the shape, the size, the style, the type of rims you have on, the size of tires, amount of tint you have on it, all those things are your product procedures, protocols, and policies. Easy to change, but how powerful would that car be if we gave it a lawnmower engine? How responsive would it be? Is it going to get you to and fro from where you want to go? No. And so your people of that operation become the engine and drivetrain. They're going to determine how responsive, how powerful that whole that vehicle is, and how they're going to get you places. But what really makes a difference is the leadership. That leadership is the one making all those critical decisions, and they're the ones that are providing the fuel. They're the ones that ignite or not creates that culture of engagement, empowerment, motivation, satisfaction. So over the nine uh, weeks, there's modules on the 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 four P's, then there's modules on the P people, and then there's module on the leadership. So it's integrated and comprehensive, comparing over 140 criteria that they'll compare what we do to best in class. And typically, the ones that are going to take the course, they're going to be the leaders. They're not going to find somebody that's struggling. So these are going to be leaders. So you're probably going to do 120 of those 140 things well or, or fairly well. There just may be maybe, you know, five, 10 things that they're not doing or not doing well enough, but it helps them identify. And if they just improve in those areas, that's going to drive enough significant improvement in overall results of clean, safe, healthy at the lowest overall cost. So it's, they do the assess, they learn how to do the assessment, they run the assessment and on their priorities, they develop this improvement plan. So that is uh, right now I'm running some uh, validation people through it. So I've got around 12 people. So when they're done, then they're going to say, Mike, yeah, this is the value, uh, and here's what I learned and how I'm going to grow. Or, Mike, uh, here's uh, what my problems were, and it did solve it. So from there, Haley, I'm going to make the adjustments and then put the course uh, on live. The other half of the business is true is consulting. I, I do consult the BSCs, manufacturing distribution, uh, trying to understand what their strategic objectives are and, and be a resource to, um, to get them faster with a little bit of support. Well, I think, like I said, it is spot on for everything that we talked about today. So it is a way for you as our listener to continue what we've talked about and to take it and grow a bit further. And Mike is a great person to connect with. So I will also give you his LinkedIn and you'll be able to follow him on there. And I'll provide access to everything that we've talked about today, links so that you can learn more and you can 
uh, see more of what he did. But in the meantime, thank you, Mike, for coming on our show and for joining us for the month of September. I'm excited that we did get to have you on. Um, and thank you for everybody who tuned in this month. Keep keep updated. Follow us on social media. Uh, keep an eye on the webpage so you can see what's happening. We'll have a blog post with everything we talked about, uh, as well as all of the links and information that you might want and a transcript if you'd like to read through what you just heard. Thank you and have a great rest of your month.